early 1960s, Richard Price and Michael Murphy made their way to a remote property clinging to the Northern California coastline. They were both 30 years old when they took over managing this little property, from which a giant movement would be born. The human potential movement was born out of a time when there was a lot of experimenting and a lot of change emerging in the U.S. In addition to expanding the mind, people were interested in expanding minority rights through the civil rights movement. Feminism was on the rise, as was opposition to the war in Vietnam. In my mind, images from the cleavers on Leave it to Beaver are clashing up against old vintage videos of Woodstock in the 60s and other iconic images of the era. I can only imagine how unsettling it must have been for all the old guard and how exciting the future must have seemed for this new generation. Somewhere in between the Cuban Missile Crisis, the creation of the Peace Corps, and the very first episode of Star Trek, intellectuals and seekers, artists, psychiatrists, psychologists, psychedelic and bodywork enthusiasts, were meeting in this roadside motel in Big Sur, California a place that was quickly evolving into a beacon for anyone who was curious to learn more about the human condition and our inherent potential. By 1964, this wacky little resort became known as the Esalen Institute. Many great minds taught seminars there or took up residence. Maybe you've heard of Aldous Huxley, Alan Watts, George Leonard, Fritz Perls, or Abraham Maslow. Maslow, you know, the guy that created Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, him. Unless you're really into that sort of thing, you may not recognize many of the names that were considered the leading thinkers whose ideas put Esalen on the map, but surely you've heard of some of its more famous guests. People like George Harrison, Ringo Starr, Joni Mitchell, even photographer Angel Adams. Esalen even had a place in the sports world. Tim Gowie, author of The Inner Game of Tennis, was an Esalen workshop leader three decades before the book came out. His workshop was called you guessed it, inner game of tennis. Over the years, Esalen has played host to a range of the curious, from wandering hippies to astronauts and mystics. Even Don Draper from the hit show Mad Men is speculated to have ultimately landed at Esalen. In the final scenes of that series, Don ends up in a place that looks a lot like the Esalen Institute. The series leaves him enchanting meditation, sitting along the coast, a big smile cracking his often cynical-looking face. I first heard of Esalen while reading about Gestalt therapy, which is basically a form of therapy that focuses on bringing your awareness to your life in the here and now. Gestalt was created by the German-born psychiatrist Fritz Perls. Perls is one of, if not my favorite, mentor. He's been dead since 1970, 10 years before I was even born, but he lives on in his books, his papers, and there are even some YouTube videos of him. I love Dr. Pearls. Well, he preferred to be called Fritz because it was more memorable and it had more pizzazz, which I totally respect. Fritz was cantankerous. He was funny, horny, and brilliant but you would be hard-pressed to find any one of his contemporaries write about or talk about Fritz in a way that was warm or expressed much fondness for him. He had a way about him. It was either a low tolerance for people or an unachievable standard that he set for them. Either way, he couldn't seem to turn that off. In regular life and in his sessions, he was extremely comfortable with confrontation. Maybe that's why I like him so much. Just to give you an idea of how he thought of the world, I'll give you an example of one of the things he spoke and wrote about. He had this system, a system called shit detecting. He would say that people go around talking in three categories of shit. Chicken shit, the stuff of no consequence like how's the weather. Bullshit, which is mostly the games people play and the masks that they wear. And then he said there's elephant shit. That's the existential and the philosophical. All forms of said shit were there to avoid real contact with others or to face the truth about oneself or their lives. As intolerable as he was, though, they respected him 
and how effective he was when he worked with people using his method of therapy. His hot seat sessions working with trainees are legendary and even entertaining for the layperson to observe. Several years ago, I began to read everything I could get my hands on that he had written. One of those books was called In and Out the Garbage Pail. Now, as far as books goes, it's awful, especially if you're someone who needs structure, coherence, flow. This book has none of that. This book is like reading his private notes to himself, like getting to read his private diary. He had no regard for context or sequential storytelling. He writes about stuff and you have no idea what the hell is going on or how it fits into what he just said one paragraph before. And by the way, even if you keep reading and might expect to, you'll never know what those two things had in common with one another. But somehow in there, you glean insight about life or come to think about the human experience in a way that you never considered. It just has this magical quality about it. And regardless of its many shortcomings, I just love that book. It's one of my favorites. It has given me some really consequential ideas to ponder and also the chance to just laugh out loud at some of the things that he would write about or confess. One of the things that he wrote about was his time in residence at Esalen. In addition to being the birthplace of the human potential movement, Esalen is also famous for its natural spring baths. Hanging on to the coastal cliffs, down this long pathway from the building called the Lodge, is a structure that houses the Esalen Baths. The water in these baths is a steady 130 degrees, and it smells of sulfur. Today, there are clawfoot tubs you can get in if you want to soak by yourself, or you can soak in one of the larger communal tubs. Clothing was then, and is still to this day, optional. Back in the day, before Esalen was Esalen, the baths were quite scandalous. The warm waters drew an eclectic crowd who would come down from San Francisco to soak in their mystic healing powers. But for a place where everyone is naked, there oddly seemed to be as much fighting as there was sex. It got so raucous that there's this story of the management taking a couple of Doberman pinchers down to scatter the crowd. And nothing happened. It turns out that the Dobermans had never actually bit anyone and were fighting with one another so much on their way down to disperse the crowd that their barking scared everybody away before any actual threats could be issued. Fritz was a fan of the baths. He wrote about his time sitting naked in the baths and what he saw there. Did I mention that he was a horny old bastard? He did things that I am too shy to even say on this podcast. He wrote fondly of Esalen. He even drew sketches of it that are printed in his book that I was telling you about. When I read about his time there, I knew that this was a place I had to see for myself. So when Pasha and I moved to California, I knew what was high on my list once we got there. I made the 125-mile drive down to Big Sur to see what all the fuss was about that my mentor had written about more than 50 years ago. To share this experience with you, I'm going to back way up, because what may start out seeming irrelevant actually becomes quite relevant at the end. Which means that I have to share with you that I booked my stay at Esalen for back in December of 2021. I was going to go in for a Gestalt workshop, the therapy method that Fritz had developed. I was super, super stoked about it for a lot of reasons, not least of which was that my transition to California hadn't been all that great. Turns out that uprooting your life at 40 years old and starting over in a new place isn't easy for a guy who was a creature of habit and routine. Moving was, let's say, disruptive for me. We got to California, and not one month later, I was in the hospital for four days from a spinal injury that left me unable to walk for 10 weeks. I wasn't having a great go of it, and I thought, I know what I need. <laughs> as soon as I'm able, I'm going to go check out Esalen. So I booked my stay. Then the day came that I got an email from Esalen that due to the winter storm, Highway 1 was closed and my workshop had been canceled. Well, honestly, this was just sort of par for the course at this point in my life. So I rescheduled for late February. They didn't have the Gestalt workshop, but they did have another workshop that sounded really interesting, and it was being led by the author of a book that I had been reading. 
Once again, I found myself super excited. I was really, really excited. I mean, I thought, well, this is even better and it's going to be amazing. And I'm sure that this guy, this author is incredible and I cannot wait to be there and learn from him. I was extremely excited and looking forward to this workshop. I had this guy worked up to be another Fritz Perls, my mentor. If Fritz taught there and this guy's there, then he has to be so amazing. And so that's where my head is as I make my way down Highway 1 to Big Sur. Now, if you've never been to Big Sur, add it to your bucket list because it is beautiful. Perhaps the most beautiful place I've ever been in the world. It is literally breathtaking. So much so that it's hard to focus on driving because you just want to take in the stunning view. And this view just, it just doesn't stop as you twist and turn down the coast. It's never ending. But finally, I come upon the unassuming Esalen sign off to the side of the road. I make my way down a big hill to be met by a dude with a clipboard who makes sure that I have a reservation. He directs me to the parking lot and I make my way into the office to check in. I'm given the key to my room. Yes, physical key. It was an actual real key with a big key tag that had the number six stamped onto it in, in gold foil. And I made my way to my room, which is in this row of other rooms. And it all sort of has this Bates Motel feel to it, where it's just this long row of old motel rooms. Now the room itself was nothing special, but my patio overlooked the ocean and it was stunning. I was so overwhelmed by the view that I almost didn't notice that there was no TV. I think it was day two that I realized I had no TV. There was also no phone and there was no internet. There's no cell phone service out there. There is internet at the lodge, which is where everybody eats, but it's not on all the time. All that to say, and, and let me be clear, luxury, Esalen is not. Are the grounds beautiful? Yes. Are the rooms clean? Yes. Is it luxury? It is not. The beauty of the grounds, though, my God, is overwhelming. I had arrived right about sundown, and so I watched the sunset, and then what seemed to be like immediately was a full moon, the reflection of which was dancing off the ocean water. The sounds of the ocean hitting the rocks down below, along with the salty sea air, was just overwhelming my senses. I actually remember thinking to myself, I am overwhelmed. It was just so much to take in. I found myself standing along a path on my way to the lodge for dinner, just standing there, frozen, trying to take it all in and appreciate this sensory overload that I was experiencing. When I finally pulled myself together and walked into the lodge, I found a cafeteria-style food setup. You know, the, the kind where you grab a plate and hand it to the person standing behind the glass and tell them what to put on your plate. I couldn't tell if I was more reminded of elementary school or Luby's. But it's fine. I was just going with it. The food, not bad. Some of it actually really good. And I don't know why I was surprised by that. Maybe because I had read this really bitchy Yelp review about the food before leaving home. But I found all the meals to be very satisfying and really health conscious. And by the way, all the meals, the room, the workshop, were all included in one price. So you don't have to worry about any expenses once you're there. It's, it's all paid for in one payment, which I kind of like. When I checked in at the office, they had instructed me that I should attend orientation at 7 p.m. So after dinner, I made my way to orientation. Orientation was led by this groovy hippie named JJ. JJ had the best energy. And I'm not usually a woo-woo, energy, crystal, vibration kind of guy, but JJ had something special. His smile, the way he carried himself, his energy is just so good. Just being in the same room with him feels like you're being enveloped with a warm hug. I don't know what it was, but I can tell you I wanted it. JJ's job was to welcome us to Esalen and lay down the rules for us. About 40 of us had made our way into the meeting space, and we sat there on these giant pillows. Come to think of it, I don't think I saw but just a handful of traditional chairs the entire time I was on the property. JJ leads us in an introductory exercise and then begins to tell us a bit of the history of the property. 
He tells us about the land that we're on, that it was first inhabited by the Asilan people 6,000 years ago. He told us a little bit about the history of being the birthplace of the human potential movement, and he expressed his gratitude to the founders of the place. He shared with us some quick stories about how some famous thinkers had found their way to Esalen by way of something he called synchronicity. He told us that even though we might not know it yet, we were also there by the way of synchronicity. Somewhat abruptly though, JJ told us that he really didn't like orientations, which I thought was odd since that was literally JJ's job. He said he didn't like orientation because it's usually just this list of rules and lists of things that you can't do. Now he did have a couple of those things that you just can't do, like when to check out and leave the property at the end of the week. I guess getting people to leave on time had been historically an issue. And that while he wants us to explore attraction to one another, that attraction should be explored in our rooms and not by hooking up at the baths. He said it all very matter-of-factly. And then he said, instead of giving you this long list of rules, just remember that you have an impact on other people. How you show up has an impact on other people. And if you'll just remember that while you're here, then you won't have any problems. And we don't have a need for a long list of rules. Oh my God, I was giddy like a schoolgirl. I was falling in love with this old hippie. What great advice in life. Just remember that you're having an impact on other people. How you show up impacts other people. Just remember that and you'll be okay. I was excited just thinking about coming here. And now, I mean, orientation is this spiritual experience. How much better is this workshop going to be? Oh my God. As it turns out, the workshop orientation is starting now. So JJ makes his way out and the workshop leader is there with a couple of assistants setting up. Again, we're all sitting on giant pillows and these things called backjacks, which I kind of really like. And again, there are about 40 of us in the room for the workshop. We're sitting strewn about the room in no particular form or fashion. Sitting in the front of the room is the group leader and on each side of him is an assistant. Their function seemed mostly to be passing the microphone around, passing out papers, making sure that the group leader sees when a hand goes up and keeping track of the schedule, that sort of thing. Now, I want to pause here for just a second, because here's the thing. I wanted to create this podcast so that I could share all of the lessons from my entire Esalen experience with you. And the truth is, that's going to require me to shit on this workshop that I signed up for. The workshop topic, the book, the leader, they're quite famous. And so to protect the workshop leader and the subject matter, I'm just going to refer in this podcast to this workshop as workshop A. All right, so back to orientation. The the leader of workshop A asks us all to introduce ourselves and we begin to pass the mic around the room. Standard stuff. Where are you from? What do you do? Why are you here? I would say 90% of the room is therapist, which obviously makes sense for the subject matter. They are quite serious in their introductions some clearly trying to impress the room, some being mysterious and elusive, some just stating the facts, all fine. While this is going on, my mind is thinking of Fritz's shit detector, and I'm passing the time identifying each as, oh, there's chicken shit, oh, that's bullshit, oh, that's elephant shit. So that's what I'm doing. I was relieved, though, that I I wasn't the only non-therapist in the room. There was a contingent of enthusiasts like me. There was a seismologist a corporate recruiter, a doctor, a retired guy who said he was just curious about the topic. And there was a wide range of ages from, I'm guessing, late 20s to late 70s or older. The diversity was largely generational. Most of the people there were white with only a few exceptions, and I think there were only three gay people, at least that I knew about. I was sort of in the middle of the introduction lineup, and I got this idea that I was going to try to be a little different. I was going to express my enthusiasm for being there. If you can't tell, I was pretty freaking excited to be there. Now, this was different from what the other folks were expressing. I mean, it's a room full of people you don't know, some professional colleagues. So I I understood their restraint. But it was also different for me to express enthusiasm for something. And 
I like to take chances in situations like these to try on different parts of my personality. So I'm like, all right, here it goes. So I went all out. I was charismatic and enthusiastic. The room laughed with me and then clapped for me when I was done. Honestly, I thought and hoped that maybe I'm setting a trend here. Perhaps the rest of the room, the last half, would now feel free to express their enthusiasm too. Yeah, that that didn't materialize. I was I was a leader with no followers that night. Once we were finished with the introductions, workshop leader A took the mic and began to tell us a bit about himself in the workshop. I was so confused. I had built this guy up in my head to be my charismatic mentor reincarnate. I was expecting Fritz Pearls. There's a story of Fritz at Esalen when Maslow, Maslow's hierarchy of knees guy, he was hosting a talk with a small group of esteemed folks around the fireplace one night there outside the lodge. Maslow had come to talk about a new concept that he was trying on about language and human motivation. Apparently, Fritz thought it to be the stuff of elephant shit. And as the story goes, Fritz slides out of his chair and slithers like a snake on the ground over to Maslow. He wraps himself around Maslow's legs and begins begging him in his German accent, come down here with the rest of us. Get down with the common people. Well, Maslow was not amused and told Fritz that he was being childish. So Fritz just goes with it. He starts crawling around on the ground and whining like a child. Can you imagine? This man in his 60s, long unkept beard, wearing his signature onesie outfit, crawling around on the ground, making childlike noises amongst his esteemed colleagues. Maslow was furious and finally responds by saying, this begins to look like sickness. Now that is a line I am putting in my pocket and I will be saving for just the right moment because it's perfect. <laughs> Can you imagine when you're with somebody who's acting like a fool and you just look at them and say, this begins to look like sickness. Oh my God, I just love it. Yeah, so Fritz was a prick, but I'm also really jealous of his freedom and courage that it takes to you know, sometimes be inappropriate, but to take big risks like that. That kind of uninhibited expression is not what I got, but I'd really been hoping for at Workshop A. Now, in his defense, the leader of Workshop A explained that he had been awake since 4 a.m. and had taken an early flight to get there. I get it. I would have been tired, too. Our workshop orientation was to go from 8 to 10 p.m., so it was late at night on the West Coast. And, you know, we, we finished well before 10, and, and he explained that he had no obligation to use the entire time and that we were free to go. Oh, well, I thought... Tomorrow will be better. Let's go check out the baths. It's dark, very dark at the baths, only lit with moonlight and some really dim, randomly placed candles. Those fake candles, the, the kind with the little light bulb. I make my way into the community bath and settle into a corner overlooking the ocean. First of all, the smell. I wasn't expecting how strong the sulfur smell would be. You do get used to it, but it's quite a stout aroma when you first experience it. I'm sitting in my little corner and realize that I'm the only person in this tub with my swim trunks on. I look around and even though it's dimly lit, I realize I'm the only person at the baths with any clothes on. Now I'm not bothered by nudity, like at all. Well. I'm not bothered by other people's nudity. I admit, though, I'm a little bothered by my own nudity. I finished my evening soak that first night with my swim trunks, but I knew that the next day I would be going nude. I wasn't sure why, but I was actually more uncomfortable wearing my swim trunks than I would have been just going without. I knew that this was a part of me that I wanted to explore because I was struck by this. I was confused by that response. I had to give some thought to my resistance to my own nudity. I never really thought about it, honestly. And, and why would I? We live in a society where there aren't a lot of opportunities to explore that part of the self. Then I remembered that when JJ explained the clothing is optional thing during orientation, he also talked about how nudity helps us connect with one another. 
being naked literally strips away our ability to hide from one another physically. We can see one another as who we are, just human beings. That level of intimacy allows us to establish our connection from a different place than we're accustomed to. That made so much sense to me because so much of my work is about learning to strip away our emotional coverings or mask. I was reminded of how our beliefs and inherited mindsets clothe us or gird us from really seeing one another. I thought about how much my work is about helping people safely expose themselves emotionally. And so hiding emotionally, I really get that. But physical exposure, that was something new for me. And I'm honest, I, I was uncomfortable with it. But why? We all have bodies. All of our bodies are changing. It's the most natural thing in the world. And as I saw, everybody is so different. And yet, in so many ways, the same. All of these bodies, both men and women, the Baths are co-ed, at different stages of life, really remarkable to me and beautiful. These were not the perfect bodies of Instagram. Other than the moonlight at night and glaring sun during the day, there were no filters here. From the fit, perky bodies in their early 30s to the saggy old man balls. And by the way, as a side note, I had never seen saggy old man balls, and I was taken aback. If this is my future, then I'm going to need to research and invest in some sort of testicular suspension system to keep this from becoming sort of, sort of like obstacle to mobility because I had no idea that's what happens and I feel like I need to be prepared. So anyway, I pushed myself to go nude the rest of my time in the baths at Esalen. I would go once or twice a day and I was extremely uncomfortable each time. That didn't change. I had a hard time putting words to my feelings when it came to what I was experiencing being naked at the baths. I was definitely scared. I mean, what if you're out there and you get a hard on? Can you imagine? What if, what if my junk isn't being all he can be? You know what I mean? Like I remember even thinking, all right, buddy, now is not the time to be shy. But I also found myself wanting to hide the more pedestrian parts of me. I've lost a lot of muscle tone when I hadn't been able to walk for all that time after my injury. And because of the pain and the fear of re-injuring, I haven't been able to work out as much since then. So I'm feeling flabby and out of shape and just self-conscious. But I also don't have the body of a 20-year-old anymore. I'm over 40 and things are just different than the way they used to be. I mean, I think I should have the body of a 20-year-old. I look in the mirror every day and want to see my 20-year-old body. But the reality is... I'm not 20 years old anymore. So I'm in this whirlwind of feelings and surprise at the bass, and it did hit me that my body is working. I hadn't always appreciated that before my stint in the hospital. No matter how it may look or seem to look to me, it works. It's healthy. And that's something to be grateful for. On my last day at Esalen, I was in the bass when a woman who was on her first day at Esalen came into the baths. Now, what I'm going to share with you right now is going to sound really judgmental. I know how this sounds, but listen, what I'm about to tell you isn't about the woman at the baths. It's about me. She was reflecting back to me what I had done just a few days before. She was, she was going clothed in the baths, okay? And my reaction to it allowed me to see myself, which, by the way, is how we go through life. Our strongest reactions to others happens when they reflect back to us something about ourselves. So keep that in mind as I tell you this little bit. Here's this woman. She wasn't wearing a top, but she was wearing her underwear on the bottom. And I saw in myself her modesty. But I also caught myself asking, why is she wearing her panties? I could have assumed lots of answers to that question. What is she trying to protect? What is she afraid of? Who is she hiding from? What's in her history that makes her feel like she should do that? None of which would be a correct answer without actually asking her. But remember, the answers that I come up with to explain her modesty are really about me and my modesty. And I know it, that this is going to sound judgmental. That's because I'm a thousand times harder on myself than anybody else. But my mind goes to this. 
Why does she think she's so special? What makes her think that her coochie is so special that she has to hide it? Does she think that her coochie is different than all the other coochies here? I didn't want to see it. It's not like I was clamoring for her to go all nude. Clearly, I'm afraid of those things. But why did she think that she needed to hide it? I don't know her reasons for hiding herself. And and really, that's none of my business and honestly not all that important to me. But what's important to me is my reaction to it and how that informs my experience. And then it hit me. No, I wasn't hit by saggy old man balls. I was hit by the metaphorical mirror that I was looking into and the questions that I should be asking myself. What makes you think you're so special? So different. Special. Different. These are ideas that keep us separated, apart, hidden from one another. They keep us away. And I've been thinking a lot lately about all the other ways that my ego tells me that I'm special, how I'm different. I've really been evaluating how isolating that is. I'm not really interested in spending more time in more places in the nude. I'll definitely continue to explore that part of me at Esalen, but it's very, very unlikely that you'll find me searching for nude beaches. But I am interested in learning more about the parts of me that wanted to hide myself. And I'm grateful that Esalen has given me a chance to explore that part of me in such an unexpected way. After breakfast on my second day at Esalen, I was back in workshop A. The instructor told us that he got his much needed rest, the rejuvenating effects of which were invisible to me. To say that I was underwhelmed by workshop A would be an understatement. The workshop leader is quite accomplished. He is truly brilliant, and he is a major bore. Here I am. I'm a good student. I read his book before I showed up. I had thought of all these questions to ask. I was ready to go. And I thought that he was going to show up and be laying down row after row of pearls of wisdom that would add to and expand on what he had talked about it in his book. Instead, he gave an overview of his topic that I'm pretty sure was a rehashing of the introduction or maybe even the back cover of his book before moving on to what were called demos. Demos were when the workshop leader and participant would sit in the middle of the room with everybody else in a circle around them. And he would take whatever issue or problem or experience that they were having, and he would work with them through it using his model. Fritz used to do this at Esalen. There are YouTube videos of him doing it, and it is mind-blowing what happened and what he got out of people. So when workshop leader A says he was going to do these demos, I thought, hell to the yeah, here we go, time for the good stuff. But it became clear really early that some models are made for working through with observers and some are not. This particular model was not made for an audience. I got to see about four demos in all. All of the demos I watched were with people that had a deep familiarity with the model that we were there to learn about. And that was strictly by chance, by the way. The people that were selected for a demo literally drew the high card from a deck of playing cards that we all drew from. But I did wonder how the experience would have been different for someone who had never experienced that particular model. And in fairness, perhaps I would have found that out had I stayed in the workshop. I can only imagine that what one takes away as an observer from this particular model is very different from what the person in the chair takes away. Because as an observer, it was painful. Each demo lasted somewhere between 45 and 90 minutes. There were stretches of 15 to 20 minutes of silence where the person in the chair was just sitting there silently with their eyes closed. Now there are 40 people sitting in a big circle around them looking on. And I get that it's a form of therapy, but I mean, come on. You're on stage and you have a captive audience. Literally captive. I wanted to leave in the middle, but it would have been supremely awkward. But there were also demos that felt really performative. Everything came off really forced and struck me as mostly for the benefit of the audience not for the benefit of the person being worked with. So I saw both sides of that spectrum, and I wasn't enjoying either end of it. I was waiting in silence for long stretches, and that annoyed me, and then I was watching what seemed like a performance, and that annoyed me. I just just wasn't into it. 
In situations like these, my default mode is to get really pissed off and go inward. I'll say things to myself like, this fucking sucks. This is a joke. These therapists are nut jobs. Esalen sucks. So I dropped out after the morning session that day. I skipped an afternoon session and just sat around and tried to figure out all the reasons why these people were morons, strange, and why I was superior and should probably be in charge. I went to bed that night convinced that the magic of Esalen must have been some marketing bullshit that some guy like Don Draper had written up and sold to unsuspecting seekers of enlightenment and self-actualization. And oh, it was everything that was pissing me off. They really should tell you how loud the ocean actually is. I can't sleep it's so loud. I woke up every day at 4am because the waves were beating the rocks mercilessly. Crash, 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 shut the fuck up. The next day I wake, sometime around 4am again. I go to the baths. I'm thinking I'm at least going to get my money's worth from the baths. Maybe these healing waters will help my back injury. Oh my god, who am I kidding? That healing talk is probably all bullshit too. Then the sun comes up. It's so bright. Hummingbirds are fluttering around me like magic dancing fairies. Get out of my way. A slight breeze, the kind that hits you just right. You know what I'm talking about? Like when the sun is hitting you a little hot, but the breeze has just a little bit of chill that makes you feel absolutely perfect. Oh, the perfection. I fucking hate it here, and I want to go home to my ticky-tacky suburban hellscape. Instead, I go to breakfast. I'm convinced that chia pudding, which has been so delicious, it's probably going to be sour today. Nope. Fresh and delicious. God damn it. I ate my chia pudding and oatmeal. Yes, both. Thank you. And had decided that with the freshness of a new day that I wasn't going back to workshop A. I couldn't take another minute of it. I was awash in disappointment. Why couldn't I have been alive when Fritz was here? Why did Fritz have to die? Oh, who am I kidding? He chain smoke like crazy. There's a story of Fritz teaching at some school. In an auditorium, and he's got one lit up. He always had one lit up, even in his sessions, video recorded sessions. Somebody comes up, and they said, Dr. Pearls, this is a non-smoking building. He turned to them and he said, That may be so, but I am Fritz. And that was the end of that. I mean, really, fucking legend. I decided that I would make the most of this trip and just do some work and writing in the lounge. There was no internet, so I wasn't sure how this was going to work out, but I'll give it a go, I figured. I was so mad at myself for finding myself in this frustrated state in such a beautiful place. About the time I'm finishing breakfast, this woman walks over and sits down with me. She's not in workshop A. She's in workshop B. Workshop B is a writer's workshop. She tells me how wonderful the workshop is and just goes on and on about how great it is. This isn't the first time that I've heard this woman go on and on about Workshop B, the same woman. We're going to call her Nancy. She had just told me how wonderful it was the day before, and I was no less jealous or bitter today than I was yesterday. Thank you very much. So she asked me, how is Workshop A going? And I may have given a hint or two about how much I wasn't enjoying it, and oh, by the way, I'm not going back to Workshop A today. Well, Nancy was delighted. She said, oh, great. We'll come to workshop B, the writer's workshop. I said, no, 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 Nancy, I'm not a writer. When she told me that this was a writer's workshop, I imagined a bunch of English teachers sitting around arguing about where the comma goes. I'm an author, but I would never call myself a writer. No, Nancy, I'm just going to sit here and work all day and sulk. Well, thankfully, Nancy was having none of it. It just so happens, or as a result of synchronicity, thank you, JJ, workshop leader B walks in right then. Nancy says, hey, leader, this is Chad. Can he join our group? And the leader says, sure. Workshop B, the writer's workshop, welcomed me, this refugee from workshop A, very warmly. There were only about 12 people in that workshop, and we sat either outside overlooking the ocean or in a big tent with the side flaps open so we could feel the breeze. There was a lot of meditating and writing. 
There were no arguments about semicolons, just reflective writing and sharing if you felt like it. One woman wrote about losing her mother and how that experience had shaped her life. One guy wrote about growing up in a cult. One guy wrote about how he poops and related that to how he shows up in life. Different, but actually quite profound. One guy, an engineer, wrote the most beautiful words about how his Esalen experience was impacting him. He had shared with us that he had only ever written engineering specs and never wrote like this, but man, he was good at it. There was a range of experience in the room, from award-winning screenwriters to people who had never written much of anything. I loved it. I loved it so much. Now, by default, I'm a rules follower. I don't particularly like that about myself, which is probably why I rarely put myself in situations where there are rules. I've worked for myself almost exclusively in my life. But by default, when I'm in a situation when there are rules, I follow. For example, I signed up for workshop A, therefore I cannot go to workshop B because I did not sign up for workshop B and I don't want to intrude or inconvenience or break a rule and go there instead. I will either not go or suffer. But in a rare moment of me listening to my heart, instead of my head, I allow myself to not just leave workshop A, which was a big deal for me, but I allow people around me to impact me, to influence me, to move me, to invite me in, to welcome me, and to allow myself to accept it all. If ever there was a time and place to listen to your heart and not your head, it's at Esalen. I'm so grateful that Nancy approached me that she influenced me, and that I let her. I was not so grateful, however, that she told everyone at lunch one day, when I wasn't listening, that I was a mortician. I come back and people are asking me what it's like to work with the dead, and I was like, well, how the hell should I know? Then I see Nancy shitting and grinning across the table from me, and I'm like, oh, god damn it, Nancy. I came to Esalen for intellectual stimulation, but I got warm connection instead. Connection with a community, with a place on this earth, and with myself. As I said before, I was overwhelmed with Esalen. Not just the beauty of the property, the coast, the drive through Big Sur. I was overwhelmed in so many ways. Ways that I cannot put into words. I got something that I have a hard time, even as I wrote this script, to put into words. In my book, Breaking Untangle, I write about the three categories of mindsets as I see them and as my method lays them out. I call them mindsets of self, mindsets of strategy, and mindsets of social. Esselin taught me that there's a fourth S, the spiritual mindset. The spiritual mindset is one that can't be put into words because to experience the spiritual transcends our language. There are no words. I had that realization before leaving Esalen, only ironically to learn after leaving that the expression, I'm spiritual but not religious, was a concept pioneered at Esalen. Workshop B was good. It was fun. But what I took from that workshop was the realization that we're all working toward the same thing. Some people are going to write their way there. Some people are going to go to therapy to find their way there. Some are going to dance or sing. Some are going to paint. Some are going to ride horses. Some are going to act or cook their way. Some are going to travel this path with others, and some are going to try to go alone. Some are going to go with money and some without. Some are going to try to make sense of it all through the lens of a god and religion, and some won't. And while all the roads look a little different, I believe everyone is ultimately trying to get to the same place. When you strip away all the clothes, all the mask, all the beliefs and ideas and ego, and we see the nakedness of who we really are, we reveal our common humanity. We're all just trying to discover who we are. We're all trying to make sense of our lives. We're all trying to be in connection with other people, to experience love and 
if we're lucky, to be loved. Esalen changed our culture, I think for the better. You would be hard up to find any major influence in personal development, human potential, self-help, who wasn't in some way connected to or touched by Esalen. And I will confess that Esalen changed me. Not only did it turn around how I was feeling about California, but it revealed how much dissonance exists between what I expect and what is my reality. I expect to have the body of the 20-year-old, and I'm over 40. That's an unrealistic expectation of myself. I expect the workshop leader to be the reincarnation of my charismatic and ornery mentor, but he's not. It's an unrealistic and unfair expectation of others. I expect, I expect, I expect. Suffering is the result of our expectations in contradiction with our reality. Things are the way they are, and that's it. My wishing that someone else would be more or that I was different doesn't make either a reality, but it does make me miserable. Joy can only be experienced when we're able to accept things for the way they are, not how we expect them to be, and to accept all of it, not just the parts we like or prefer, but to be honest in our reflection and assessment, to see the whole, to see the dark so we can recognize and maybe even appreciate the light. The yin and yang of it all are what give life its context and allow for deeper appreciation, affection, and ultimately gives it meaning. Joy and suffering, light and dark, life and death. Esalen is the kind of place that allows for those lessons to be learned. The place itself offers us a kind of mirror or reflection of the human experience. Its history is full of many contradictions and many juxtapositions. The place sits on the coast where land meets sea. Its physicality itself is a contradiction. The rich history of the place offers its patrons a place to root out the contradictions that live within us. It's a place that seems to be primed to create space for a person to go deeper into their inner search for who they are. I was reminded of a therapist who often would remind me that we all have some of everything within us. We all have some saint, and we all have some sinner. Esalen, too, has it all. Its natural beauty does a good job of masking it. But the darkness is also there. Charles Manson spent a night at Esalen, perhaps by accident, perhaps a result of synchronicity. The night he stayed there, he put on an impromptu concert in the main lodge, apparently a bit of a flop. Just three days later, he orchestrated one of this country's most famous and publicized mass murders. Esalen may be the birthplace of the human potential movement, but it's also a place where more than a few people have taken their own lives. They found Jeannie Butler's clothes on the edge of a cliff at Esalen, but they never found her body. A wealthy kid from Southern California, he was troubled and searching for his place in the world. He went by the name Sunshine. He shot himself in one of the barns at Esalen. One of his closest friends found him, alive, with a bullet in his head. His friend said that his body was fighting to stay alive. Back then, it would have taken an hour or more for an ambulance to arrive, and when it finally did, sunshine had stopped breathing. Fritz certainly embodied the light and dark. Even as I can get wide-eyed over Fritz, I know he wasn't perfect. And had I actually had the chance to meet him, he would have probably had as much disdain and lack of patience for me as he seemed to have for everybody else. But I had the luxury of his mentorship more than 50 years after his death and six feet above him. But even his fame and professional accomplishments couldn't protect him from his own light and dark. A woman named Judith Gold drowned herself in the baths at Esalen the day after a tough session with Fritz. Marsha Price had group sessions with Fritz where she mentioned suicidal thoughts. Fritz told her to go right ahead and do it. Well, she did. 
She shot herself in the head with her lover's rifle and a Volkswagen camper that he kept parked on the Esselin grounds. Esselin reminded me that even in our darkness and in tough times, light is available to us. We all find ways to hide our darkness, put on the mask, the clothes, play games. We trade in chicken shit, bullshit, and elephant shit. We try to project some form of beauty that allows us to conceal the darkness we might be experiencing. I know myself well enough to know that I can be the best version of me. And I can also be a spoiled brat who allows my expectations to sabotage me. I know that while many days are bright, I'm not immune to the dark. While at Esalen, I discovered that the light in other people, even strangers in a strange place, can illuminate my darkness. Taking a risk and trying on different parts of my personality. Taking a risk and listening to my heart instead of my head. Taking a risk and letting someone I didn't know help me. Risks that produced lessons and life experiences for which I am grateful. It's the beauty and moments of joy that I will choose to reflect upon when I remember my first time at Esalen. My surprise at the saggy old man balls. The laughter of others when I opened up and shared with them. The thrill of meeting a celebrity. The fascinating conversations with thoughtful people in the lodge. The overwhelm of the natural beauty even making a friend or two. Those are the reflections I choose and that I'll take with me. That's the beauty, the light, that I'll borrow from Esalen. It's a light that won't be left behind, left on that crown jewel of California real estate, but instead will pay tribute to the highest spirit of what Dick Price and Michael Murphy intended when they transformed that roadside motel. A transformation from a place where you come to experience it and then leave it behind to a place where you come to offer excellent and the people that synchronicity has drawn you into connection with something of yourself. A place where you can look inside in the company of fellow seekers to explore the potential within you and then take what you discover with you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to share it with someone that you care about. And if you'd like to learn more about Esalen, just visit their website, esalen.org. And if you'd like to know more about some of the stories that I told throughout the episode, check out the book by Walter Truett Anderson called The Upstart Spring and Fritz Perl's autobiography, In and Out the Garbage Pail. You'll enjoy both.